Graham Smith. I'm the head of obstetrics and gynecology at Queen's University and the Kingston Health Science Centre here in Kingston, Ontario. We established the Mothers Program to provide a reliable source of information about pregnancy on the internet with the goal to improve mothers' health through education, research, and screening. The Mothers Podcasts are an extension of that. Today, we're going to be discussing pregnancy, postpartum, and mental health, and our guest is Dr. Claudio Suarez. Dr. Suarez is the professor and head of psychiatry at Queen's University and the Kingston Health Sciences Centers. Claudio, welcome and thank you for agreeing to speak with us. My pleasure to be here with you, Graham. Thanks for inviting me. So pregnancy in the postpartum under the best of circumstances can be associated with an increase in anxiety. How do you know what's normal worrying and the blues and what's not? Well, I think it's a great question for us to start the conversation about mood and anxiety during pregnancy. Um, I think the times that we thought that pregnancy would be just joy and, and or pure joy and, and, and no stress, they're long gone. So we all know that in the best case scenario, as you mentioned, um, there's a lot of expectations and anxiety around pregnancy. I think the main issue of being worried or not worried about anxiety or depression during pregnancy is how how that is affecting the ability of the mother or future mother to work and to function in society or function within the family environment. In other words, how much that can be disruptive or maladaptive. A little bit of anxiety is, I think, is not only normal, but, but positive. There's some expectations and that will help them to prepare for the newborn. The question is really when anxiety and depression start affecting their functioning. That's when we start worrying about it. And obviously, uh, we have to worry about uh, those or be more paying pay more attention to those who have a history of anxiety and depression. So what should individuals and their family members be watching for? So one point that I think is important to keep in mind, Graham, is um, the so-called blues. It's, it's, uh, it's quite common. It occurs maybe in 60 up to 70 percent of women after they have their babies, whether it's the first baby or or second or third baby, so not only for new moms. Uh, this is actually related to, it's multifactorial. It's probably related to um, the hormonal dysregulation or hormonal changes that are occurring right after delivery. But also there's significant sleep dysregulation. Um, there's a lot of stress and anticipation, especially for new moms with a new role uh, and breastfeeding issues or concerns. So all of that may lead to a significant anxiety or mood swings that usually last for three or four weeks. Um, they usually resolve this spontaneously. A small percentage of those will evolve into a postpartum depression. But a few things you should keep in mind and, and, and look for. Uh, one is um, a significant detachment from the baby. So if the mother is really not feeling uh, bonded to the baby or not um, avoiding being in touch with the baby, avoiding physical contact or feeling extremely stressed or distressed by simply being around the baby. That should be something uh, of concern that we should actually monitor them more carefully. The other thing is, uh, you know, as usually with any depressive symptoms, um, looking at thoughts of self-harm or harm of others or any indications that uh, she may be experiencing unusual or negative thoughts towards the baby so these are things that we should be looked for in, in, in a more serious way. But blues is, is quite a, I would say, almost like a physiological and psychological adaptation to the postpartum period that usually lasts for a few weeks. And, and in most cases, more than 70 or 80 percent will not lead to uh, postpartum depression. 
So when should an individual seek help or when should family members who are concerned uh, reach out to seek help for somebody? That's that's a great question. And I probably would go back to the distinction between those who have never, never experienced depression before uh, and distinct those from uh, women who uh, are just experiencing or are experiencing a re-emergency or recurrence of depression. So one of the the major risk factors or predictive factors for postpartum depression is history of depression. So women who had depression before or significant anxiety, particularly those who had postpartum depression before, so during previous pregnancies, those are the ones that are more likely to evolve into a postpartum depression. So knowing the history and knowing how, um, how that particular mom had experienced depression, anxiety before, uh, should uh, just increase your level of, uh, of uh, concern or, or attention to the postpartum period and monitor those symptoms. I would say if those uh, symptoms of uh, dysphoria or irritability or mood swings, if they last for more than four to six weeks postpartum and they are affecting the ability of that new mom to function well uh, and, and be attached and bonded to the baby, um, that will probably uh, raise to the level that um, a follow-up with a family physician or with a gynecologist would be uh, worthwhile. For those with a prior history of depression, I think a closer follow-up postpartum uh, in the first three to six weeks and then continue to monitor that in the first three months postpartum, that's probably a more, um, I would say, a, a better strategy because those are definitely at a higher risk for developing depression or significant anxiety postpartum. So drugs for anxiety and depression are some of the most commonly used medications in individuals who get pregnant. Can we talk in general about the safety of them? I've certainly seen a number of individuals over the years who have either gone off their medications on their own or been advised to go off their medications and run into problems with worsening of their mental health symptoms. And that's not in either their or their baby's best interest. That's, that's a great question, and I think there has been a question in the minds of both physicians and patients for decades now. And I would say that we are probably fortunate that, uh, on one hand, uh, there is a lot of uh, uh, concerns, I would say even stigma, uh, around the use of uh, uh, psychiatric medications during pregnancy. On the other hand, they have probably one of the most well-studied uh, class of medications during pregnancy. I don't think we have... Um, as much data on antibiotics or, or anti-pain medications during pregnancy compared to what we have in antidepressants. And that's, and that's good news. So we, we now, after extensive uh, uh, analysis of a large number of data, we can say that for women suffering from uh, depression, unipolar depression, uh, we're using antidepressants. Uh, overall, the data suggests um, a, a good safety to be used during pregnancy without leading to significant uh, risks for neonatal uh, complications or malformations. Um, the, the question is really how to weigh the risk of exposure to medications versus the risk of depression itself, right? Quite often we spend a lot of time discussing the risk of exposing moms to, uh, or future moms to medication, but we don't spend the, the same amount of time explaining to them or to the family members the risk of not treating that depression. So what is the impact, the obstetrical impact of a depression, severe depression, or neonatal complications, or even the impact on the infant uh, and on the newborn uh, to be exposed to a depressed mom uh, or psychotic, psychotically depressed mom 
uh, and the impact on that for the baby's development. So overall, I would say the use of antidepressants has been shown to be uh, safe during pregnancy. I would say with very few uh, exceptions, there's probably one medication, paroxetine, that we tend to be a little bit more reluctant uh, to use during pregnancy, doing a slightly higher risk for cardiac malformations. But the majority of antidepressants have shown to be uh, quite safe um, during pregnancy. The question becomes a little bit more complicated when we think about patients with uh, bipolar disorder. So these are those who fluctuated between manic and depressive symptoms. We used to call manic depressive disorder. Uh, it's now called bipolar disorder. They are usually exposed to a different class of medications, mood stabilizers or antipsychotics. Uh, there are data on safety of those medications, but the, the medication has to be a little bit more individualized and tailored to the patient's needs. So that's something for us to keep in mind. But if you think about depression and anxiety in general, uh, the use of those medications during pregnancy and postpartum seems to be relatively safe. Yeah, part of the problem with trying to attribute any fetal abnormality to use of a drug in pregnancy is the background risk without taking any medication. Certainly taking folic acid at least three months before you get pregnant has been shown to decrease the chance of the baby developing a neural tube defect and may actually help prevent other abnormalities like those of the heart. Yeah, and you're absolutely right. So uh, we, were, we were chatting about this before. The, what are the background risks, right? So what is the underlying risk for um, neonatal malformations, uh, whether they are minor or major malformations? And one of the issues that we have to keep in mind, quite often the, the women suffering from depression and anxiety might be also more likely to be exposed to uh, tobacco use, alcohol use, uh, sometimes they're not following their prenatal cares so closely. So there are a lot of other factors that might be uh, related to the depression, particularly those who suffer from depression for a long time or more moderate to severe depression. There are underlying factors that are unrelated to medication that could be contributing to complications. Uh, and, and we have to tease that out and, and factor that in. Uh, but there are medications that we should definitely be more uh, proactively concerned about, um, and I, you know, you mentioned folic acid. So, um, for instance, patients who are treated uh, for epilepsy or bipolar disorders with valproate acid or epival, and this is a medication that, as much as we can, we should avoid during pregnancy, during um, uh, due to many different risks, both the neonatal or uh, congenital malformations, but also the neurotoxicity effects that we see in babies exposed to uh, Epival. So these are some of the, the things that will require a more individualized approach from physicians, whether it's a family physician or a psychiatrist to help those moms to navigate through pregnancy. So I think the, in, lo in long story short, if you are receiving treatment for depression because you have a moderate to severe depression, uh, or, for instance, if you're treated for epilepsy and, and you have to be in mood stabilizers or anticonvulsants, and chances are that you need to be there through, throughout pregnancy, you should really follow that very closely uh, with your obstetrician, um, with your family physician, with your psychiatrist, to make sure that you are adequately treated, reducing the unnecessary risk of exposure, but also reducing the risk for uh, worsening during pregnancy or postpartum. When you identify someone or you see someone who has new onset of anxiety or depression in pregnancy or postpartum, what's the approach to the management? 
Well, for new onset of depression or anxiety during pregnancy, the main, the main issue is to first assess safety and risk. So really look at, despite the fact being a new onset, is that severe enough that is causing a potential risk of self-harm or harm of others? So if the, the woman is, is experiencing, you know, um, thoughts of uh, suicide or hopelessness or worthlessness, uh, any risk of self-harm or harm of others will um, geared us to a different direction in terms of intervention. Um, but for a new onset during pregnancy, by and large, the first uh, step is a non-pharmacological intervention. So look at stress factors, uh, sleep, um, potential conflicts or stressors in a home, anything that could de-escalate anxiety um, and, and, and feelings of distress uh, without using any medication. Quite often, behavioral interventions can be very helpful. Uh, you can use some uh, basic uh, cognitive behavioral uh, strategies to de-escalate anxiety and to eliminate ruminations or negative thoughts that could be contributing to uh, mood and anxiety. For instance, uh, preoccupations or uh, distortions about the role of, mother, of being a mother, concerns about uh, the future baby's um, uh, health, so these are all um, concerns or thoughts or ruminations that can be contributing to depression and anxiety. There's also um, significant change in a woman's role um, as she's going through pregnancy, particularly first pregnancy. Um, she might be moving from a very uh, different role as a professional um, to and be very anxious about the new role as a mother. Um, and that might create interpersonal issues, uh, relationships, uh, issues in the relationship with the partner, or family members. So there's something called uh, interpersonal therapy or IPT to help us to address those different roles and the stress related to those roles. So both uh, cognitive behavioral therapy or CBT or interpersonal therapy or IPT are just two uh, examples of behavioral strategies that we can use. Sleep hygiene is also something we can use to help women to sleep, although they would be probably mad at me uh, when they are in the third trimester uh, and look at me and say, how can I sleep with this, you know, with all those changes that are happening to my body and everything else. But, you know, we try as much as we can behavioral strategies and, and sometimes um, just counseling and supportive uh, therapy and support of the family members can be quite helpful. Medications is left to those more moderate to severe cases or for patients, as we mentioned before, who have a significant history of depression and anxiety before or postpartum depression. So you mentioned that uh, anyone who has a history of mental health concerns is at risk of increased problems in pregnancy and postpartum, and, and more so if they've had it in a previous pregnancy. What would you advise someone like this who is considering another pregnancy? So that's a great question, and and and, and the answer can be probably divided between two groups. So those who um, are planning to get pregnant uh, ahead of the time and have a chance to review all their options uh, prior to conceive. And those who um, have issues with depression before and, and struggle and then just realize they got pregnant. So basically an, an unplanned pregnancy uh, that occurs in a woman who had experienced depression and anxiety before. There's actually some interesting studies looking at this conflict that women go through um, when they have to make decisions about medication. So there's actually a Canadian uh, author that was looking at, uh, um, scientists from Women's College in Toronto, looking at 
what drives a woman's decision to to make um, to make decisions about medication during pregnancy. And for and she found out that uh, one of the things that actually uh, almost distinguish those who end up using medication or not is the timing of the decision. So if they have a chance to reflect on the use of medication uh, three months or more before conceiving, uh, they feel much more relief with their decision. So they actually tend to balance the pros and cons. They look at the, the history of depression before. If they had been depressed during pregnancy, they know how difficult it was. So the decision is a little bit um, more straightforward, I would say, and they tend to uh, decide to stay on medication if they experienced moderate to severe depression before and or they experience a significant postpartum depression. So they tend to agree to stay on medication. And these are the ones who are high risk for relapse anyway. So they should be on medication if, if they agree to. In the, but on the other hand, those who were not given the opportunity or didn't have the opportunity to reflect on using medications before conceiving and find themselves making that decision the first trimester uh, or even the second trimester, they tend to be more uh, conflicted with that decision. They tend to be less uh, compliant to the medication. Uh, and in some cases, it, they tend to have uh, the worst outcome. So I would say introducing that discussion sooner than later seems to be a factor that contributes to a better outcome. Uh, and the second point would be the severity of the depression before and how that affects the postpartum period in previous pregnancies. I'll give you another, another example. Uh, there are studies that follow women with severe depression who are taking medication during pregnancy and decided to discontinue or stay on medication. And that's actually a large cohort that was done in the U.S. And they found out that among women who stay on medication uh, during pregnancy because they had a history of a severe depression before, among those who stay on medication, uh, almost uh, one-fifth, so 20%, uh, experienced a relapse during pregnancy. Then they compared to women with significant depression that decided to discontinue the medication during pregnancy, the relapse there was almost 70%. So the good news is that if you stay on medication, you reduce your risk from 70% to 20%. The not so good news is that the risk is not zero. So even if you stay on medication, you may have a little bit of a risk, but having a moderate to severe depression and being depressed when you conceive, they are probably the major risk factors. So that's when you should probably consider discussing with your physician the benefits of staying on medication or not. Yeah, certainly I've seen uh, people over the years who probably because of the larger what we call volume of distribution, you know, their blood volume goes up by 50%. They're obviously a bigger person uh, in pregnancy. And it's probably diluting some of the medication. And so it may be that some people actually need an increase in their dose uh, as pregnancy advances. Uh, and, and typically they come in presenting, you know, with worsening of their usual symptoms. Yeah, that's, that, that's, that's right. So there are actually some studies looking at volume distribution and dosing of antidepressants. There was a time when family physicians or even some psychiatrists were recommending decreasing the dose of antidepressants towards the end of the pregnancy to avoid um, any syndrome in the baby, the, you know, the persistent pulmonary hypertension or withdrawal symptoms in the baby. Uh, and that was probably uh, not a very wise uh, recommendation because at that point in time, uh, the dose that the moms are receiving was actually less than average or less than usual. 
and they probably would just increase the risk for relapse if they change the dose. Most antidepressants don't necessarily request uh, or require a major adjustment. With exception of a citalopram, in some cases, we need to adjust the dose a little bit. But most women should, should stay okay with the dose that brought them to a good point. If they are well on a certain dose, they probably would be okay to be in a certain the same dose. The medication that I'll be a little bit more concerned around delivery and postpartum a gram is lithium, and because the lithium can become toxic uh, if there is a major change in the volume distribution or hydration. So moms that happen to be on lithium during pregnancy or postpartum, so that needs to be monitored more closely. But most antidepressants, we should just keep the dose the way they were, the, the way they were, they were, or the dose that was before, uh, to ensure that mom remains well and doesn't have a risk for relapse. You know, one of the things I've uh, I've seen or done over the years as well is, you know, the scenario where somebody has no history of mental health issues except that they did have postpartum depression and were treated uh, effectively and, and they recovered and then came off medication. And in their next pregnancy, because they are at higher risk, uh, I've, I've often had a discussion about starting back on medication, either at the very end of pregnancy or early postpartum, to try to prevent the problem from arising as opposed to, you know, reacting to the problem once it's arisen. That's a very uh, reasonable strategy. Uh, there are not a lot of uh, prospective studies that look at this question very closely and, and, and compare to, let's say, just monitoring without medication. But I would say that I do, I do uh, the same for quite a few patients that I know they're high risk for postpartum depression, either because they were experiencing some depressive symptoms during pregnancy or they have a history of uh, crashing very fast. So in other words, there's not a lot of time to intervene postpartum. So I try to do almost this prophylactic approach and, and initiate a medication towards the end of the, the third trimester or immediate postpartum. Uh, the good news for those who really crash very fast or develop severe postpartum depression is that now we have, at least in the U.S., um, brexonolone, which is a medication that can be given uh, intravenous. It's an IV medication um, that uh, works very, very fast for postpartum depression. It's just one dose that it has to be administered in the hospital, though, uh, and the patient has to stay uh, uh, under observation for 24 to 36 hours. Uh, it's a different mechanism of action. Uh, it works very well. It has been approved uh, in the United States for postpartum depression. We still don't have it available in Canada, um, but it's, it's, uh, it works through a different mechanism in the brain. Uh, it's through GABA receptors, not the classic antidepressants, but it works very well. So they're, they're promising new uh, new medications that we can use for those very severe, sometimes psychotic depressive episodes um, that require an intervention. So there are some options for those as well. Often from a screening point of view, we're using the Edinburgh Postpartum Depression Score. Is it something that patients could use on their own or women could use on their own? Yes, absolutely. So the Edinburgh post Postnatal Depression, Postpartum Depression, has been validated as a, as a self-management tool. Uh, can be used not only um, postpartum, but also a lot of us use during pregnancy as well to monitor those symptoms. Uh, yeah, they, they you know the same way that for some women having um, premenstrual diaries can be very helpful to look at their mood swings around menstruation. 
Um, any, any, any mechanism to help them to self-assess mood postpartum can be very helpful. And the Edinburgh scale is quite uh, user-friendly, so they can definitely use those, uh, the questions of the, of the Edinburgh as a, as a guide, as a guide to assess your mood for sure. Any other thoughts or advice to pregnant individuals or their partners related to anxiety and depression? I think it goes back to, uh, you know, distinguishing what is, uh, what is a normal stress, a normal anxiety, and, and normal mood swings that might happen during pregnancy and postpartum from those who can be maladaptive or disruptive. So just keep an eye on, you know, prolonged uh, sleep disruption, not related to, to breastfeeding or not related to the baby crying, but more related to preoccupations or ruminations that become quite um, stressful. Uh, look, uh, look for significant mood swings or emotional detachment from the baby. Uh, or any any more severe symptoms of depression, such as hopelessness or thoughts about self-harm. So these are major red flags, I would say. Uh, but mild to moderate depression or anxiety can usually respond quite well to uh, supportive therapy, um, some support uh, from uh, partners or husbands or wives uh, to um, help with the, with the sleep, uh, help to take care of the baby, postpartum. Um, and medication if, if needed, uh, with the reassurance that some medications can be quite um, safely used uh, both during pregnancy and, and breastfeeding. So you don't need to deprive yourself from treatment because you're worried about the baby's uh, well-being. So baby will be fine as long as you're fine. Thank you so much, Claudio, for taking the time to join us to discuss pregnancy and postpartum and mental health today. I want to thank our guest as well as Adelaide Burroughs, who helped to produce this podcast and for those behind the scenes. We will put links to more information on this and other topics on our website, The Mother's Program, www.themothersprogram.ca. The Mother's Program is all one word. I'll include an attachment for the Edinburgh Postpartum Depression Score Sheet. If you have any comments, suggestions, or ideas for topics or people that we should interview, please use the contact section on our website. The next podcast, we will be speaking with Drs. Ashley Waddington and Melinda Radoa about postpartum contraception. Until then... Stay safe.